we're in the ballroom, Peter, at the, what's it called? Waverley Castle. The Waverley Castle Hotel in Melrose in the Scottish Borders. We're literally in the ballroom. We've got it all to ourselves. There's a, um, a dance floor just to our left with a little stage and some loudspeakers set up for a, a wedding band. Um, there are lots of chairs around the dance floor, but there's no one in apart from two-thirds of the Never Strays Far uh, podcast team about to talk to you. And, and just to be clear, it's not the Met Ball. It kind of feels like um, uh, 1980s. Early 90s? Early 90s, I go yeah, early 90s, push. actually. That's Pete's era. He loves all that sort early of stuff. 90s, he loves the late 80s, early 90s. Sort of weird place. Yeah. Yeah. You do, don't you, Pete? You love, <laughs> you're a big fan of that era. Musically-wise, yes. And dress sense-wise, 90s. I'm all, I mean, it's came back around now, hasn't it? Completely. And yeah. and just like, why does it have to ever change again? Why can't we just stay stay where we are now? Everyone dress. Yeah. That's what I thought, are. Pete. And I just, thought that just, back in the just 90s. Leave it, leave it as it is. We don't need to go full circle. We don't need to wait another twenty years until we get here again, or thirty years. <laughs> let's just, <laughs> let's just, just stay as we are. You know? stay. <laughs> It'll never happen. Uh, commentary, commentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to do some commentary because Pete, presumably, you didn't hear our commentary of the finish today. Well, no. There was well, what a day, wasn't it? It was what a day. All right. Well, let me do. Let me let me give you a taster. Of how the race finished in terms of commentate. Reco- I'll recommentate it a little bit for you, yeah? I would absolutely love that because when we finish, especially in car two, we actually have no idea what's happened. So even people <laughs> like, oh, you know, how did you get on today? And I'm like, don't know. <laughs> don't know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't know. Right, so go on. I can't wait. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind about, I don't know, ten, last 10 kilometres, something like that. There they are, and the gap's around about 1.30. It's been held at 1.30 for quite a while. There's still Reto Hollenstein working on the front for the Israel Premier Tech team, and alongside him, the indefatigable Costa Rican Andre Amador. Those two riders have done at least 160, 170 kilometres on the front, but now Hollenstein's dropped, and now let's see, Amador still continuing. But there's an attack, and there's an attack from one of the Trinity racers. He's trying to get across to the front of the race there. It's Glogue. I think, although I only know that uh, because I expected it to be Glogue and it turned out to be Glogue. Matthew Glogue, he attacks, he's caught the riders, but then they're being reeled in now. Alex Dowsett is on the front now from the Israel Premier Tech team. He's doing a big difference here. It's down to within one minute and the leaders are caught. And now Richie Port gets on the front. The Ineos Grenadiers really taking things up. Tom Pidcock is off the back for some reason. He's been lurking around the back, having a bit of a chat, and now he's behind the doctor's car, and we don't know what's going on there. So it looks like they're going to race for Magnus Sheffield. That would be the obvious thing to do. At the front of the race, Richie Port then. Big turn inside the final kilometre now. But Magnus Sheffield is the second rider in line, and on his wheel, it's Omar Fraile. So it looks like the Ineos Grenadiers have sprung a surprise, and they're going to be riding for Omar Fraile. Richie Port pulls off, and then it's down to Magnus Sheffield, and off his wheel comes Omar Fraile, and alongside him, a rider from Israel Premier Tech who none of us know the first thing about. <laughs> we think it's Michael <laughs> Woods. We're going to shout the name Michael Woods as he crosses the line. And it's not going to be Michael Woods. Instead, it's going to be Corbin Strong from New Zealand who takes the win, Pete. And there you go. I don't know if I'm more impressed about your recreation of the commentary or the fact that you thought it'd be Michael Woods over Dylan Turns. Well, Dylan Turns, I knew it wasn't Turns because he's very distinctive, obviously, isn't he? Oh, you know what Dylan style. Turns looks like. Yeah, and sorry, he was yeah, le- okay. And the confusing thing was, Pete, 
he was on the front from really early uh, early on in the kind of Israel Premier Tech lead out train. I did, so he had I a couple of riders it, yeah. on his wheel. Yeah. So this guy, this kid, win, takes his first ever win, Corbin mm. Strong. He's a, he's a former world um, team pursuit champion from a couple of years ago. And they've got a really good team pursuit squad, haven't they? The, the Kiwis. Um, Corbin Strong. But he's just not done anything in his but road career. Pete, you'd have loved it. Because no, he's a good yeah. sprinter. Basic, but Corbin Strong came by and obviously in the heat of the moment, Ned's like, and Mike Woods takes the win. And he looks at me and he's like, kind of like, shrugs he's like uh, what was it? and i was <laughs> like i don't know and thank god the helicopter was up so i could look down and it was i could just see 25 and then i'm just like rustling who's yeah. 25 oh. who's 25 yeah 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 yeah, yeah it was yeah. one of those i mean i was only i was yeah. so i was so 65 percent sure that it was michael woods it was unbelievable mm. i was just deeply but you know not being totally sure it was michael woods i had no other name to throw into the hat so i would never in a million years have mm. come up with corbin strong i have to say I'll first win first pro win First pro win. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it first pro. It's one of those little commentary moments, isn't it? Um, and, and Ned's, he has his classics that he does. It's um, UAE tour. So he would switch his mic off and I'd be like, he's either doing this deliberately to make me elaborate more on my answers or he actually does need a drink. <laughs> but I would like, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to carry on talking. I'm like, switch it on, switch your mic back on, Ned. Switch it back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I Pete, feel your pain, Pete. As you say, what a day! What a day! How did yours start? I mean, the weather was unbelievable. Oh my word! I mean, well, it started with me briefly speaking to you guys about. So I had some like talking about the nineteen seventies and eighties. I had some like sitcom that ITV had decided to like fill in the hour of airtime that they didn't have with the cameras off that was just <laughs> on my laptop. Because uh, I was excited to hear you guys as well. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. so, so I had these like mad perm haircuts and all this stuff going on. I didn't know, didn't know what it was. Uh, and then- Peter, yeah, it, it was, was the just, Sweeney. It was the Sweeney. Oh, Very famous series so, from the 70s. Ah, mad yeah, it wasn't perm haircuts. It wasn't a sitcom, that, it was a Sweeney. Oh, so that's what the tweets were about. Didn't understand. Okay, yeah. got you. Yeah. Don't right. Worry. So then I concentrated I, on I the race, really. and it was uh, it was just brutal. It was I don't. Do you know what? Sometimes in the car, I feel like it feels worse than it is when you're on the bike. Can mm. you relate to that, yeah. maybe, David? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can empathize I don't completely know. because whenever I whenever I stop to race in the mountains, and it happened a few times, I then get in the team car. Often as I got, as I. Well, I could get out of not going in the broom wagon. And you'd be in the team car and you'd be like, How fast are you guys going down these hills? And it's and they'd come like come back from mechanicals skimming by the cars and I'd be terrified in the passenger seat. So yeah, and that was just those days. So yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. But I mean was it was it um, down at the start line? Was it hammering? Because we didn't get those pictures. We didn't see what was going on at the start line. Was it hammering with rain, uh, even early doors before the race got underway? It wasn't too bad at the, on the start line, but it was when you, you went along the coast for a bit, turned left to go inland, and then we, we entered those like really narrow roads. And yeah, the, you know, there was each side of the road was was flooded. There was, on the, especially on some of the tight left hand turns, there was massive puddles. 
uh, in the car, it was crazy. It was like, even though I wasn't really doing anything because I was car two, it's still full concentration because you're in the convoy and there's a lot going on. Window wipers going full pelt and it's like, oh, can I just turn them down a bit so it's less stressful, but then I won't be able to see. So you turn them off for a bit. It's actually, no, I need to put them back on. <laughs> Pete, do you want to know what was happening? Really, you felt for the riders. Yeah, Pete, do you want to know? It was quite hard for the commentators as well. Oh, it was really hard for the commentators because um, <laughs> we Ned already was didn't enjoy the drive there because it was actually quite a torturous drive, wasn't it? Yeah, we had an hour yeah. to we had to an hour to drive through the similar yeah. road conditions, admittedly not following a peloton, mm. but we we got to the finish line to find out. That it was, <laughs> it was like the end of days. I mean, the weather, by the time you got to that finish line, the weather had improved so much, but we were in the middle of the worst bit of the storm when we arrived. Yeah. So much so that the big crane that, that you know all about now because you've worked in television long enough, you know the really important big crane that picks up all the signals from the bike race. It was too dangerous to put it up in the air. <laughs> so they couldn't get it. It would have been blown over. It would have blown the entire damn thing over. Oh, so that, so that was Britain. that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, but wait, you want to know what's more Tour of Britain, Pete? And this is, uh, um, I, I kind of, the last race I did was Tour de France, and you kind of get institutionalized to that. And coming to the Tour of Britain, and granted it's a very kind of anomalous finish at the top of the, the UK's premier or only alpine ski snow sports center snow sports center and uh, yep. we got up there and it was like um it was kind of a bit f like the first world war flandrian sort of just mud. mud and kind of not many cars there some big white trucks kind of and so some what looked like commentary boxes ned parks up almost there's not many people there we always park up next to kind of the old media compound and we get out and i'm following ned and and he's kind of going through and this first big white truck. <laughs> we just walk up and I think, oh, Ned's just kind of going in to kind of say hello to somebody. And uh, he opens the door and I'm kind of coming in thinking, and I walk in and I think, oh, this is just the kind of the, the service truck. <laughs> and go in there and it's like, <laughs> Obviously. And he's like oh, this is, this is, David. this is, this is where we're, this is where we're going to be working. And, <laughs> and like nothing's even set up yet. The best way I can oh describe it, God. Pete, our commentary <laughs> desk. <laughs> We had no monitors. This is like 45 minutes to on air, theoretically, although that was delayed. But the best, the best way I can describe it is, it's like a, in the back of a, of, of, of you know, the, the, the truck that carries all the equipment, there's like a workbench at sort of nipple height. You know, it's not like a table height. It's a, sort of like, so you have to have a super high stool to sit on. It's incredibly narrow. And, um, and it's like, and all you're surrounded by is shelves, full of electrical cables and bits of kit and all that sort of thing. So it's like trying to commentate on a bike race from the back of a kind of metal workshop. That's yeah. basically it. Yeah, it's like it? a removal truck, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. then I actually got like in there and I saw this and I was like, this is weird. <laughs> oh, frozen a bit there, Pete. Yeah, go on, carry on. No, I uh, just saying it's like Matt Rendell's idea of hell. Matt would, I mean, it's the opposite of what Matt Rendell's idea of heaven is. So it's, it's Matt, Matt Rendell's idea of hell, you're yeah. right. And the, the door, so the wind was so strong, we had this little door <laughs> right next to us, that every time, every time anybody opened it, and the, or the Belgian riggers were running in and out trying to you know, fix our position up, every time the door opened, literally, Pete, every time they opened the door, it was like opening the door on the decks of the Titanic. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> my computer was getting soaked. Like paper was blowing everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and instantly, we had to get a big roll of toilet paper because all our laptops would be instantly spattered with rain. Yeah, like that. We're going down. <laughs> <laughs> it was like being on the sinking deck of an ocean liner. And every time yeah. one of us wanted to use that door, the other one had to say, brace, <laughs> brace. <laughs> <laughs> it was just So it came as no surprise the, to us. Pulls, that pulls, the the out of the, um, pulls the mother out of the... <laughs> The life raft or whatever it's called back in the day. Yeah. And she's there with her kids. She's like, that's my motor. My motor. Going home. Uh, but then it, then it started and that's when you were, because obviously it, kind of, it was all pulled together because they're all very high, highly professional people. And for them, it was just totally normal. Knew they'd get it all sorted out. They didn't anticipate kind of the, the transmission not receiving, so it's not having pictures. So it starts and all we've got is this, fixed image of a cable of, car of a cable car in yeah. cloud <laughs> and oh. we had to commentate on that no. we had to commentate that on for nearly half an hour yeah just chatting about stuff <laughs> yeah it's a slight exaggeration. i think it's more oh like well it felt word. like half an hour it was maybe minutes. maybe maybe 10 15 20 minutes it yeah. was it was tough but but just so i think our listeners might be quite interested in sorry pete it, it, our listeners might be quite interested in what happened afterwards you know why the television pictures weren't receivable so first of all the big old crane couldn't get up. And then when they did get it sort of fully extended, it was looking down the satellite dish, the receiver was looking at Aberdeen. You know, I mean, it's literally, it's a line of sight thing. So it's trying to look down towards Aberdeen. Um, and the clouds were so low and there was so much rain in between there and Aberdeen that there was literally a wall of water that was obscuring the signal and the signal couldn't punch through the water. Uh, it was like oh, yeah. it was like a, it, you might as well have closed off the mountain with an iron curtain. It was oh. like that, and that's very, very rare. There's a rare set of circumstances, that's but eventually, as we know, it cleared up. Oh, honestly, it's so funny because in the directors' meeting yesterday, they made such a big point of live on air, start to finish, guys, start to finish. You have to remember this. You have to remember start to finish live on air. You know, whatever you do is gonna be broadcasted. Remember what you're doing out there. It's going to be on tv all this 142 kilometers <laughs> there is no exception you do not get out of your car this is what andy um the race director of andy Hawes. Like, andy Hawes. yeah he said don't get out of your car because you will be shot to every direct to every director in the team and it was it was brilliant it was almost like a bit of a sense of humor to the whole thing it was a really nice director's meeting actually but because you we, that's when we were passing um where the queen is Balmoral. that she, yep. Balmoral, she was actually there today as well um, mm. That's a permanent so, residence now. Yeah, so I don't know if he was actually. I felt like he was being serious. So I was like, I said today to guys, don't make, if you don't go for a wee there, and you're not supposed to get out of your cars there. And then we were driving through there. There was there was fans. There was a helicopter flying over the Queen's roof. I was like, is he? Is have I finally found someone who's more sarcastic than me? <laughs> <laughs> hey Pete, Pete, just for just for because we obviously. Yesterday's podcast, we left you just before you went into the director's meeting. Can you tell us what a director's meeting is? Um, it's the chance for the organisation and the commissaires. It's like, for me, it's it's their time to... They put so much effort into the race and it's it's their, their hour to really speak to the teams who are effectively representing their race in a way. Um, and... It, they go through the rules, what they expect from from 
from the teams what you can and can't do uh and it's you know a lot of it's you already know but it's it's part of starting the bike race and uh it was quite it was quite nice natured there was a good atmosphere in the room uh good atmosphere yeah it was uh it was really nice um the commissaire wasn't too serious actually one difference from other races the tour of britain they said you even though the uci real estate you can't they said you can throw your bottles to fans but you've got to be responsible in how you do it um so i thought that was quite nice actually i've never heard that before and then yeah i was actually noticing that today yeah, you pull your num- so the first stage is no GC, so you pull it. They pull the cars out of the hat, and that's where you where you are. So we were car fourteen. So it's like a bit of bingo at the end for a bit of fun. So Pete, what happened? So you on the podcast yesterday, you said, look, we're at Trinity. We're probably not going to just pointlessly launch riders up the road and get them in the break. And um, that's exactly what didn't happen today. You didn't have a <laughs> you didn't have a rider in the break. But did you try and get a rider in the mover? It went quite quickly today, didn't it? Fairly yeah. soon after the flag dropped. No, our aim was to never get a rider in the break. And I th- you've got to remember about Trinity Racing. It's essentially an under twenty three development team. So we're here to for the riders to learn and to develop them. Even sure. riders like Tom Glogue, who was on the attack. You know he. He 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 took and he, he's turning professional for Jumbo Visma next year. He still is in a learning phase of his career, and he took so much out of today. And um, it's about you know, it, for me and Ian as di- as directors, it's it's about constructive criticism, um, and saying it in the right way so they can take it on board. You know, I mean, he felt like it was a good chance to attack. It was probably never going to work, um, two k to go into a headwind. But you've seen the acceleration he had. And you see what potential that guy has. Uh, but then little things, you know, like taking your gabber jacket off to, and giving it back to the car or giving it to one of your teammates at 10K to go. He was still in a full rain jacket. Um, so little things like that yeah. that you can, you know, that he's still, you know, taking on board and learning. And um, so a big part of our, our race is, is essentially still developing these riders within trying to get results. It's obviously the main aim. Pete, I noticed, you know, towards the back end of the race, when it, you were already on that final approach to the final climb, you know, the road was already dragging up. I noticed um, Luke Lamperty, your mm-hmm. rider there. I, I, I noticed him kind of shoulder barging a little bit with one of the riders from, and I, I'm not bl- blaming Luke at all. I mean, it was kind of, it was one of those six of one, a half a dozen of another, the, of the other, the, the front end of the peloton that he was trying to get to was really quite congested. It was very tightly packed. But it wasn't the. I think it was one of the um, Sport Flanderen um, Balois riders actually who he was bumping with, and I and they're obviously a, a very established and very senior pro team, aren't they? With some real hitters in their in their in their squad, and I noticed towards the real back end, inside the final kilometre, Rory Townsend, who rides for a continental team, the Irish national champion, who we heard from yesterday, you know, he had a real coming together with Gonzalez from Movistar, who kind of like barged him right out of the way in the, in the last uh, couple of hundred metres and Rory gave a little bit back. But I really noticed that today, those two incidents, and there were some other little fractious moments. And it, it kind of like made me think about uh, what I've often heard in races like the Tour of Britain, where you get this kind of like really unusual mixture of Conti teams, young teams, you know, under 23 development teams, and some really senior riders from the World Tour. I've often heard, you know, it's really hard to be one of the junior riders from one of the smaller teams. And the bigger teams, they do throw their weight around. Do you think, 
you think we were seeing a bit of that today? I mean, it's kind of like, and this is part of the, <laughs> the, the learning curve that your riders are, are having to go through. Yeah, I, I think you get that in, in all these type of races, no matter what, what part of the season they're in. Um, when you get the either the development teams or the continental teams riding with professional, the world tour teams, um, the, the world tour teams just, or the riders within them, demand a certain amount of respect. And, you know, you get a guy from Movie Star who's at the Tour of Britain, potentially might not want to be here, but he is, because that's his job. And he's just <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? I don't need this in my life right now. Just relax, yeah. and it can get a bit flippant. But um, what I will say about Luke Lamperty is he is he's like a Luke Rowe. He's a great road captain. He holds the team together. Um, he demands respect from the team. And I even think, even though he rides for Trinity Racing, I think the the you know the bigger riders see how he rides and how he operates out on the road and with that then you gain respect no matter what jersey you've got on um and he was brilliant today and i think he's he's in great form he actually dropped back with 2k to go on the climb to get ollie reese and bring it back up the front because he was out of position so it's looking because mm. we kind of had ollie reese and Glog as our main guys today and luke was the helper um, because you've got to share it around a bit, especially at this level, because it's not a World Tour team. Everyone's got to have their opportunities. Um, so that was great from Luke today, and I think he's climbing well, and we're going to see a lot more from him. I feel like we're at a Tour de France rest day in the COVID era where we're interviewing a rider. Well, <laughs> respect, we're respectfully, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Pete, one last one on this one. Cause well, the dynamics change, always... doesn't it? I know it has completely it? A little flipped. Bit. Well, because yeah. you're in the race, we're yeah. on the fringe of it. Oh, no. uh, one last one on that is, in your role as DS, when you have those young kids and you're kind of seeing these things happen, and I guess it puts in perspective your accomplishments and the level you were racing at. How do you manage if you have frustration? Do you go and speak to them afterwards? Do you do you have moments where you kind of find the time to to share it and and let your kind of frustration go? Um. I try and share as as many experiences as possible. Like when we were talking about uh, Glogue's attack into a headwind, like the first thing I openly said is, I can't even remember the, the amount of times I've attacked into a headwind. You know, not even thinking <laughs> tactically about if it's the right decision. It's just because I, I felt like I wanted to be in the race and I didn't even think about where the wind was coming from. And it wasn't the right thing to do, but we've all done it. Do you know what I mean? But it's about learning yeah. from that. And yeah, it's the same now. It's and it, and you heard from Richie yesterday. Well, we didn't actually, did we? <laughs> About um, how, how he's we did. you know go, going around apologising and stuff like that. But yeah, there's loads of stuff that you can take from your career, and even that you can take post career, and realise like the importance of just engaging with people, whether it be fans, your colleagues in the peloton, and how far that takes you, and how how crucial it is really to your career because it's such a small world. Pete, tell us about your drive back from the race. Oh, this, <laughs> this, really, this really is an interview, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It yeah, is, it is. Yeah. If you've got any questions for us, yeah, do feel free, free to free, ask them. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, but in the meantime, we'll, you know, we'll carry on grilling you. Carry on. Now, you had a, okay. you had a more entertaining... Uh, we just listened to an Alan Partridge podcast, but uh, you had a much more entertaining uh, drive, I think. So we put the riders and... Uh, in the team cars and me and Stanard jumped in a camper with uh, Pat McQuaid 
who's here working <laughs> on the race. McQuaid. McQuaid. Yeah. For those who don't know, he's the former president of the UCI. Yeah. Now not, not, without his, not without his controversies back no, in the day. But he but was, he was there the for Armstrong a... period and yeah. took over from uh, Hein Verbruggen and yeah. a legend, part of the McQuaid, I'd say, cycling dynasty. Yeah. Kind of, and it's his son, Andrew McQuaid, that, that is the boss of Trinity. But I just love the fact that you were in the camping car with Pat McQuaid driving. That's just, it's, I love it. It's it's so cycling and it's so, it's unbelievable. And then <laughs> I had the chance to catch up with Pat McQuaid before dinner, just me and him. And like I'm really intrigued and fascinated by the history of the sport. And I have no idea even, I have a, a, a bit of an idea about, you know, what his background and stuff, but not really. And even the riders on this race have no clue. You know what I mean? Especially on our team. Yeah. No clue, really. Um, and he was like, uh, yeah. So going back to yesterday's podcast, Kellogg's crit series, the the RAS, the milk race, he organised all of that. And then also organised the Tour of Britain back in the day when it was the Prue Tour. And so it's just like huh. this guy is a world of history and it's he's fascinating to listen to. Yeah, he is. I, I, do, I do like Pat a lot. But how grounded, as well. how grounded is it that he's now here driving a camper that, yeah. and it's, it's fine and he'll sit down with me and talk about the, you know, the last 30 years and I, I just think it's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And it's really good. We, and I think that's what's really important about the Tour of Britain as well. This is legacy of like meeting Jockey. That was the first time I met Jockey yesterday. And this kind of, it's the old crew. And you say, Ned, it's always the same faces you see. Oh, it's, I mean, you know, for as long as I've been doing... 15 years of this sort of one one way and another um or nearly 15 years and they are oh, they are literally the same faces it's incredible and a lot of them like you say so you know mick bennett a little known fact you were asking me about this yesterday yeah. mick mick bennett who organized this race is a bronze medalist at the olympic games from you know the munich games and ron keeble his teammate from munich you know used to was part of that same team pursuit squad. He used to drive a car here. Steve Jockin has always been part of it. You know, everyone's got a history in the race. And, but going back to the Ireland thing um, and the McQuaids, you know, when I went out and did that um, documentary about Irish, the history of Irish cycling, it became very apparent that the... the f and actually, Pete, this kind of comes back to what you said about the Isle of Man racing and the sense of community, the, the point you made yeah. yesterday. In Ireland, it's a real family dynasty thing. So the McQuaids, just by dint of sheer numbers, kind of hold sway because, you know, there were six McQuaid brothers, I think, or yeah. five, five or six, right the way from Pat down to Dara, who is heavily, heavily, Dara McQuaid is a really important player in the sort of world of behind the scenes, the world of how bike racing is organized. Pat was the UCI president and all of the brothers raced one way or another. That's been passed down through the generations. So um, your, your boss, effectively, Andrew McQuaid, is... Uh, is uh, I mean he used to race, and so too did his um, did his cousin yeah. Gary, who's also an agent. You know, and and um, but then the Kimmages, Paul Kimmage, his brother was an extremely good racer. You know, yeah. Stephen Roach's brother mm. was an extremely good racer. So it kind of like got passed down through family. So it's an um, the Irish story is absolutely amazing. Well, I loved what Pete was uh, saying yesterday, which I'd never thought about with, with Isle of Man, which links to this. Sorry, Pete was the, the community idea. It's kind of it's got. It's yeah. you're doing it for fun with friends. Yeah. You know, which, as, and as you said, again, another thing you said, words of wisdom, Pete, for the majority, it's a lonely kind of pursuit. Yeah. We're doing it to rebel. But yeah. it appears in Isle of Man and Ireland, it's very much a community kind of uh, concept, which I think is becoming the UK now. I mean, in London, there's a, in Leeds, there's obviously a scene, right? Because Sam Watson, riding for GB, is literally a next door neighbour of the Pidcocks. 
Yeah. And Tom's dad, Giles, was a really good racer back in the day of his own right. And, you know, Tom's, Tom's younger brother, Joe, rides for FDJ. Yeah. You know, so there's a little cl cluster scene there. And down in South London as well with the Glogues. So Tom Glogue, your rider, he is, um, he's from East yeah. Dulwich. He grew up like a stone's throw from Hernhill Velodrome, which has produced Fred Wright and huh. Ethan Hayter, etc., etc. Mm. So, yeah, so it's fascinating. It is, yeah. But it's little clusters, isn't it? I think in yeah. the UK, Pete's like upping and moving yeah. on our Zoom call. Oh, he's oh, ended up in a majestic. Wow, well, your looks hotel like he's looks checking nice. out. Well, his hotel looks much nicer than ours. This is amazing. Like this he's just like saying, beautiful. I can't talk right now. We're just saying your hotel looks glorious. It looks like a genuine like palace. It's incredible. It's uh, one of those <laughs> lovely spa hotels. I'm just getting a key for my room so I can put my laptop on yeah, charge literally. because I'm in really enjoying this. Podcast. Oh, he's running out. <laughs> oh, I'm going to commentate this. Yeah. Um, yeah, here is Kenick now walking so, through what appears to be a Greek temple. Now he's entering a fire escape, uh, but he's, got, he's moving fast. Downstairs now, a quick technical descent, but he's mastered it. Looks we might like be using Wi-Fi now because yeah. he's uh, going down a stairwell. Yeah. So we might <laughs> have to wait until he's connecting back to Wi-Fi again. Yeah. But yeah. we've got him frozen yeah. in what does, as you say, looks like a very rapid descent of a set of stairs. Yeah. We, so we, we, took a, we took a fairly rapid descent off the mountain at the end of today's stage, David. And we drove for two and three quarter hours to yeah, get down did. into the borders we to did. Melrose. We did. And all the time as we came off the mountain, the weather got better and better, better, better. and better. Yeah, was, uh, how beautiful. I've never uh, been to the borders before. Why have you never been to the borders before? I don't know. I don't know. I'm very excited about tomorrow. I think it's going to be stunning. Yeah. I, mean, I, I genuinely do. The, weather, the weather's really poked up. The borders yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. Pete's now got back into a, a, an area of Wi-Fi. He's taking his headphones off, yeah. so he can't hear what we're saying. But Oh, here we go. Yeah, update. No, they're back on. Um, update. My room's 204, not 207. So I'll be two minutes, and I will be back with you guys. No okay. Okay. He's got... Um, he's now... Okay, that's fine. He's well, going um, into room 204 now. I oh, know. No, I don't. I didn't understand that. He's left his luggage know. outside room 204, might, and he's, he's just run off up the mini break. Up the corridor. Yeah, we'll do one of these. Um, we'll do one of these mini breaks. Uh, right now, in fact, yeah. Pete Kenyuk is now returning. I think the problem was that he just got the the room key cut for room 207, hadn't yeah, he? Yeah. And and only when he got outside his actual room 204, yeah. did he realise that he had the wrong the wrong room key. So he's come back now. So it's a little threshold, a bit of interval training there. Breathing quite heavily. Yeah. 2040s, you know yeah. what, that's 2040s. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jaconia created those. I remember those. Um, so there's an interesting fact with being on tour at a bike race. You yeah. always forget your hotel room. Oh, often, uh, always. Often when you're checking in the morning, you go down to breakfast. And they go, which your room? your room number? You go 324? Yeah, it was like two nights ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, also build up in my left rear pocket of my jeans, I build up a collection of yeah, cards. I do that. So left, I do left rear pocket as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, why is that? Don't know. i tell you why it is. Right hand is for other things. Left well, you, you, no, I'll tell you why it is, because you're, you're leaving your room, so you're carrying stuff often with your right hand, and you're closing the door with your right hand. So you take, your, you, take your, you take your, you pick your card up, because that's just, you're just going to, in your left hand, put it in your left pocket, because yeah, you your right hand's got more important oh, things to do on the way out of the hotel. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, Pete, Pete, Pete do, you that was some, do you want some exciting news, Pete? Yeah, while well, your heart rate recovers. Um, so Tomorrow's a big day, Pete. A really big day, Pete. Yeah. Because um, we're going to be meeting the, uh, the mystery, person, the mystery the person, person who is offering to host the NSF Classic from a mystery region of the United Kingdom. Yeah. So we're going to have that discussion after tomorrow's stage with the mystery person. 
And we feel like it's a really significant day potentially for Nevestray's far. So Ned got really excited. Yeah. Uh, when well, I started. So I started saying that actually we're going to literally meet this person. So we've got to be like, we've got to have some sort of sensible plan in place, and offer some sensible sort of like vision of what this race might look like. Otherwise, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it might seem to him like we're just making it up as we go along. <laughs> Which we're of course and we're now, not. And now, and now I've forgotten that he's obviously a podcast listener. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no! So ahead of our meeting, I've just revealed all the backstory. Yeah, I'm just going to have to plow on. Sorry, person. Sorry, person. But, yeah. but, but so we've suddenly realized that we, sh we do need to have a cogent plan. So I got all serious, Pete. And I went, no, come on. Like, actually, we need to think, like, if this is genuinely going to be a race, realistically, yeah. it's not going to be a seven-day stage race, right? Realistically, it's probably no, not, not year one. Not, not year, year one. one. It's not even going to be a two-day stage race with a prologue and a split stage. <laughs> it, what it, it might be a split stage. We don't know. But realistically, what we need to say to him is it'll probably be a crit race. <laughs> in the evening in a small town, right? Like a disappointment let's on be, Pete's face. Like let's be realistic. Let's face. be realistic. But then, so after that crushing disappointment of real, and you agreed with me, didn't you, David? Just pragmatically. Just pragmatically. That's probably not where we need to start. But then we build from there. And within about three minutes, I'd said, yeah, but it's not going to be just a crit race full of domestic pros and, you know, semi-pros. What it's going to be is a crit race for retired professionals. Again, disappointment on Pete's face. What, like that could be. What just do you a, think? That could be like the opener. Malcolm Elliott. It's already been done. No, it did it in New Monaco, but it was, Newport, it was terrible. New, Newport Nocturne used to do it every year. Well, let's see. Well, okay, we're not doing that. Oh, then. I'm sulking there. Okay. Was it any good? No. No. Okay. okay. All right. Good. All right. I guess think we're good. All right. Don't know. So, we got super excited about the idea of Malcolm Elliott lining up against Marcel Kittel. Uh, Ryder Hedgedal coming back. We were gonna, who else were we going to have? We had loads of people lined we had up. Loads of people. I don't. I'm not. I've kind of lost. Andre Greipel. Right yeah, I'm yeah. deflated. Fully deflated. deflated. All right. right, Pete, race director. What, what are we going to? What are we going to say to person? I think I, I've just been so fixated on the Hunger Games theory. Okay. Of, of the bike race that it's really difficult. Well, just being to random let with that the rules. Go. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And well, we not, were, not, we not just the rules, Pete. but. Pete, we were saying yesterday, actually, because we were talking, we talk about it every day at some point, <laughs> is with the, if we go the Hunger Games rules, which, which means it can't be a UCI race, yeah. because we need to be able to kind of rip up the rule book. You could have at the start line, in front of the, the peloton, a fleet of blacked out cars. Oh, this was, yeah. And, and in them is, oh, each, yeah, it's, it's a blacked out car for every team. Yep. And it, in each one of them, you have your nitro rider. So you remember the nitro rider? Mm -hmm. Okay, so around the course you have three nitro laybys or pit lanes where the nitro rider hides to be picked up at a certain point. And each of these blacked out cars is labelled one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And the riders get in and they get dropped off at these um, secret nitro layby points <laughs> to be deployed. <laughs> and, they have to, and they have to relay out, so you have to take a rider out. Yeah, yeah. And which probably means there's going to be a rider at the front because it's like a, a, a road Madison. Yeah. Mm. And you're putting them back in. Yeah. And they're kind of fresh legs. Yeah. 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 Sounds complicated. Also, <laughs> what I think would be a good idea is if the director sportif and we could have like inboard cameras was had to be an actual rider from the team. So like um, oh, nice. uh, Michael Mercury would be like on the radio to Cav telling him what to do. Do you know what I mean? 
Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Nice. We definitely need, that was the other idea we had, because we, we were like already jumping ahead to how are we going to televise this <laughs> affordably. <laughs> and we were thinking we could probably do it, to be fair, we could probably do it with decent 4G and some iPhones. Yeah. Right? And then we thought, but also we can have live audio relayed on loudspeakers around the circuit from the riders themselves. So we could dip in and out. So, you know, the riders, we could literally hear from them mid-circuit, like yeah. what's going on. So, they'd, so literally have, they'd have like ear pods in and they'd have their phone connected. Yeah. So you could call them up at any time and they have to answer. <laughs> Otherwise, they get no fee. Otherwise, they're eliminated. They get their yeah. fee. Yeah. We, also, we also decided like, to make a real big splash publicity-wise. It'd be really nice to have Wout van Aert win the race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we decided the best way of doing that was to secure somehow... A, I think we settled on the figure of five hundred thousand pounds. Would probably five hundred thousand pounds <laughs> prize fund. I don't think we're going to get him for much less. I think no. it's got to be, it's got to be was close to half a million. Uh, would it not be easier to pay him like a hundred and fifty grand to do it, and then just yeah, just use the money be. that way? You're so logical on this side of the conversation. Is but that enough? Yeah, you could pay him less than that. I reckon. Yeah, we can pay him less than that. And also, I think with this, I guess the it's idea it's going towards the post tour criterium, isn't it? Vibe. The feel I'm getting. Basically, yeah, but we want to do something different. So we want to have the biggest prize in cycling history. <laughs> 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 My God, start, we've got to start there. <laughs> and then, I mean, this is still, we're still in the dream phase. And person who's listening, this is just yeah, we're just throwing, this, we're just riffing publicly. Listening. Yeah, we'll send you the PDF with all the actual plans separately um, because you know they're clearly drawn up quite accurately yeah. and you know, realistically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're wondering now with your new connection to Pat McQuaid. Yes, this would be really useful. I mean, maybe he, get some tips, um, know, or just 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 float it by him. Yeah, that there's this idea that you want to yeah. organize a well, race next guys, year. Guys, yeah, you not, not got, me and David. I've, no. I've got an I've got an idea. I am doing a podcast with you guys on this race every night this week. Yeah. Why don't mm -hmm. we get Pat McQuaid on and ask him? That would be dreamy. Is he on the race for the entire duration? Yeah, in the hotel with me every night. Right. Oh, P. McQuaid is on tomorrow night, if possible. That'd be right, yeah, I'll, 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 bu uh, I'll book him in, yeah. Tomorrow I'll night. book him in? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you maniac. <laughs> this is brilliant. Pat would love it. We're not asking about any politics or anything. We're asking yeah. about race, race advice. He, and yeah. kind of... he wouldn't care if you asked him about politics, David. Just answer <laughs> Yeah, that's it. true. He, actually. Really he really wouldn't. He really wouldn't care. <laughs> he really wouldn't. It's so true. Yeah. Okay, Pete, that's your, uh, that's your mission. We yeah. just need to okay. work out the tech on that, but... Details. Yeah, but Pete's all he over the tech. He's like, yeah, yeah. it's fine. Oh, yeah. oh, we need. Yeah, there is a little slight tech issue that we need to resolve. Actually, SD card at the finish line. Don't worry. Oh yeah, we're gonna pass out. Yeah, the reason that yeah. Pete's voice sounds a bit different on this podcast is because we couldn't fire up the microphone because I took his last SD card <laughs> and never handed it back to him. Uh, so tomorrow at the finish line. Um, you know, obviously, before you've looked after your riders and everything like that, just jump into the back of the commentary booth, and uh, I'll pick up. I'll hand over the SD card. Yeah, and, and with that, right we, 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 we learn, don't we? You know, now yeah, I've, as do. a podcast um, neo pro, I know I need to bring a spare SD card. We need a checklist. We just need to have our each one of us needs a checklist. Yeah, yeah. And a little, as you said, a little, um, little satchel. Yeah, with mm -hmm. uh, all the stuff in it, and yeah. it's like check, check, check. By the way, Pete. I love the fact you've taken, I don't know, Humbridge to the shiny boy earphones, and now you've got like super 
technical. They just look technical. They look like the kind of things we normally get given by Tony yeah, in the back like of yeah. commentary. This is like what all the production team use on ITV. It's the HD 25s. That HD 25. Even knows yeah. the model. <laughs> yeah. Legend. Legend. <laughs> hey Pete, what sort of plan? Tomorrow's stage looks really cool, doesn't it? The finish. Have you yeah. had a look at it? I have. It's. I mean, it's windy again. The weather's a lot nicer. Uh, but from 30 kilometres to go, it's all guns blazing, narrow roads. Yeah, right. Um, really narrow roads. I mean, like, you know, almost like goat Farm track not goat, roads. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Um, so with what I've seen today from Pickock, I would, and his style of racing, I would expect him. I mean, it's it's, it's so, you try and predict these things, don't you? And it's just totally different when you're in the race. But I feel like he'll want to start the race earlier. And I feel like he'll want to open the race up with 30 kilometers to go because then straight away it's narrow roads and it's up and down all the way to the finish. So it's no reason why not, why you wouldn't. Pete, have you heard the latest Pitters news? Oh, go on. He's not going to the Worlds. Hmm. So we, we heard that, we, we pulled, that, he training, pulled out, training he's, he's tired. Yeah. And we had a discussion about this on the car on the way back because he had a right baffler of a race today. You know, you, you know, he finished fifth, but mm. he was off the back. And you, you sent us a message like he was he was on the bumper of your car for a bit as well, wasn't he? Like just working yeah. his way back to the car. That was after nature's call. Cool, cool uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But he was, but he was, you know, but it was towards the end of the race. Yeah, so Pete, you wouldn't so have seen this. Literally at the bottom, about five Ks to go. He, he'd been, some, he'd taken his jacket off at about 25 Ks to go. So he kept his full rain jacket on all day. Nobody mm. else had. Then eventually everyone else has stripped down to just race wear. He still had his big jacket on. Then about 10 Ks later, he took his jacket off. He took it off. And then next thing he knew, he was just sitting at the back of the peloton hmm. and chatting. Like, and the whole team was still up there. And I was like, oh, what, what are you doing, Pitters? And then it was kind of thought something's wrong. And then got worse. At one point, Moto3 was back online. And five Ks to go, he was in the back of the medical car sprinting back on with his jersey fully undone. What? And it was like, and it looked like he was getting dropped and he was out the race. Yeah, it did. And then it was, then he got fifth. Mm. Comfortably, it, like with his mouth strange. shut. Yeah. <laughs> he looked so good at the finish. It was super strange, Pete. And we do, there's something, so the reason he had, I, I don't know why he had his jersey fully undone or something, his suit, and then it was all done up again by the time he got to the front, but he was totally disconnected from his team. Like he'd said, guys, I'm out. I'm not doing this. And then mm. like he was getting dropped and it was like, oh, Pitters is out the race. There's something wrong with him. And then he gets fifth from nowhere. It's like he's... So here's my... Go on. Here's, here's our hypothesis. That he probably didn't maybe want to race the Tour of Britain, and, you know, and that the prospect of leading GB at the Worlds has been hanging heavy over him. Mm. Like a, a real pressure and maybe an unwanted pressure this year because he's done so much this year. Yeah, And so has. perhaps you it was like... That. I've got to do, I've got to do the worlds and I've got to lead GB and I don't feel like I'm in winning form mm -hmm. any longer. And now they're sending me to the Tour of Britain with all this kind of media attention and you know I'm obviously the spearhead of the team and the big favourite. And I think he just I think he just started the race with his head in the wrong place potentially. And I'm wondering if the decision, the definitive decision to withdraw from the worlds, happened kind of emotionally as a consequence of today's race. And he just went, actually, no. Do you know what? I'm not going. And that's that. And I'm wondering whether now that with that pressure removed, well, he might just think, well, the rest of the tour of Britain, that's it, isn't it? This is kind of, like, I might as well 
I might as well mm -hmm. have a crack at this now. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously still perfectly placed in GC. He hasn't, he hasn't lost any ground. It was, um, so he could still clearly get, get back into this race if his head and his legs are willing. So it's, but it's really interesting that's to watch that today. It's very unusual. It. From how you've both just explained it, that to me is like a typical battling with your own emotions. So it's like count yourself it out of like the race. Exactly and then that. it's like, actually, no, I, I can do something in this race. And... But he's obviously physically fit enough because to be in that situation, like you said, and then finish fifth. So it's like he's just having this ongoing dialogue with his own yeah. brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see how it develops tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, you get in, you, you forget, don't you? Especially as commentators, it's like you forget what they've done all year, the pressure they've had all year, what they've actually had to put in and the sacrifices they've made up to this point. And you just take it for granted and be like, oh, yeah. 30k to go tomorrow. I've just literally just said it. He's going to attack, open up the race like we know he will, but he could just be in a completely different frame of mind. The thing is, and the thing is, he could tomorrow. The fact what he did today, like yeah. off the back with 5k's to go, and then finishes fifth kind of from nowhere. And then, as you say, just now it's publicly announced he's not doing the worlds. He's obviously physically fully capable, but that means nothing if your head's not in the right place. Mm. So tomorrow is going to be really interesting because. Yeah. He could do either. He could stop the race or yeah. he could win it. Yeah, one way or the other tomorrow, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because we it was a bit of both today, but one way or the other, he has to kind of make up his mind, I think, yeah. tomorrow and the, and the race would be really interesting to see. Yeah. hope he stays into it, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it was really yeah. curious today that, with hindsight, I mean, it kind of, I said to David afterwards, said it's, it kind of made sense that the Ineos Grenadiers rode for Omar Fraile, given the nature of that climb and the nature of that rider. But in the end, I wonder whether Magnus Sheffield <laughs> might not have been the better choice because he's just got mm. that kick. I don't think, um, I don't think Strong Corbin Strong is going to get round Magnus Sheffield mm. potentially. But you know, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Bike racing. Bike racing. It's a good finish Cycling. from Strong. Yeah. Cycling. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Strong. Hey, it's really late. It's quarter past ten. Yeah. Podcast to edit. I better do this and then get it up uh, the cloud and. Um, yeah, you better go and do <sighs> DS things now. Early start tomorrow. Leaving the hotel at 8 a.m. Oof. Uh, it's now... You've got a bit of a transfer so then, obviously. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hour and a half. Okay. All right. All right. That was... I enjoyed that. That was great. Yeah. Good thank stuff, you. Pete. Thank, thank you for your time, Pete Kenyuk. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Kenyuk. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs>